I'm glad that you are here. My name is Josh Govier. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Chatham. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you are here. If you are visiting with us today, uh, especially if this is your first time or second time or third time or a lot of times, but you haven't filled out a visitor card, I would encourage you to find a visitor card in the pew in front of you and fill that out. It lets us know a little bit about who you are, and from there it helps us connect with you better so we can know you and care for you as well. Um, I have just a couple of announcements. Uh, the first, as many of you know, we're in the middle of our five-day clubs. Uh, so this week we have five-day clubs that will be held at the Hickles. Uh, so if you have kids that haven't gone and they want to go or can go or neighbors to invite, um, do that and then talk to the Hickles. Also be praying for the five-day clubs as they go later on in the service. We'll pray for the ones that have happened and the ones that are coming on. But as you think about it, uh, please pray for them that the Lord will work mightily. Um, then just a couple other small announcements, clarifications. We do have Children's Church this week um, and we do have Sunday school next week. So, um, yes to Children's Church, yes to Sunday School, but in the month of August, we're going to be taking off Sunday School. There'll be a couple of things that we'll do here. We'll hear some from, from some missionaries, but um, for the most part, Sunday School for the month of August will be gone. But come next week, because we will have Sunday School next week. All right, with those out of the way, I'm going to read our call to worship, and then we will pray. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you only because we stand on you as the cornerstone. Lord, our only right to speak to you it's through Jesus' death and resurrection, through your spirit. Lord, but because you are that cornerstone, we can stand sure and firm. Lord, we reject and abandon the lies of the world and any other foundation. And I pray that you would draw us closer to you, that you would reveal other things as, as false or as sinking. Show us again your steadfastness, your sturdiness. Lord, as we come before you, we desire that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. Lord, accept our worship as we sing. Hear our prayers. Not because we are good or deserving, but Jesus, because you are good and you have made us holy and pure through your death and resurrection. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to stand as you are able and let us sing out to our God as we sing out.
to our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the foundation that was laid for us. For without him, we would crumble. Everything we would do would fall apart, but he holds us together, and he is the reason we sing. So let's sing out to our rock, our God. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm He is Lord Lord of all Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Make 
strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Our God is good. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is good. And all that he has done for us is good. And the ways that he loves us and takes care of us is good. So how can we keep ourselves from singing? I love that this is a singing church. That we sing out, that we love our Savior and we sing. On this next song is a hymn that that some of us are familiar with and, and, and some may not be. Um, but it reflects on that very refrain that the rocks themselves, that all of creation would cry out because our God is so good. And so how can we keep from singing? My life flows on in endless song Above earth's lamentation I hear the sweet though far off hymn That hails a new creation
Praise the Father 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we get the privilege to hear from one of our missionaries. And so feel free to take a seat as uh, Linda Ahrens comes up to share um, what's going on uh, in her ministry. Good morning been a while since I've been here. <laughs> it's good to see all of you. There's a lot of new faces since the last time I was here, but there's still a lot of old faces. And I can say that because I'm an old face now too. So <laughs> I thought this morning that I'd give a little connect history of my connection to Chatham, because there are a lot of you that don't know me. When I was six years old, I started attending Chatham with my cousin and his wife. 
and um, they lived a couple doors down the street from us. And in Sunday school one morning, they announced that there were going to be revival meetings. And so the Sunday school teachers said, everybody needs to invite their parents. So I went home and invited mom and dad to go. Well, my cousin also invited them to go, and my aunt and uncle invited them to go. So they decided they would go that night just to get everybody off their back. And we went that night. Both of them accepted the Lord, and we kept coming to Chatham after that. So I grew up in Chatham and um, was here when we moved out to Hazelwood. And it was during my high school years, during a missionary conference, that I really felt the Lord leading me to go into missions. I studied at Calvary Bible College after high school. And during my time at Calvary, I decided I just didn't have what it took to be a missionary. Now, don't ask me what it was, but I was sure I didn't have it. So I taught school in a couple different Christian schools. And one winter, one of my students was generous and gave me pneumonia. And so <laughs> during that time that I had pneumonia, it was like every time I would read my Bible, there were just verses that kept bringing back what I had told the Lord I would do many years before that. So I wrote mission boards and got back volumes of literature saying, yes, we need teachers. At that point, Berean Mission was centered here in St. Louis, and I knew people from Berean, and they had a need for a teacher in Quito, Ecuador. And so I applied to the school, I applied to the mission, and I went to Ecuador in 1979. After that, after I'd been there a few years, I saw a need, not just there at the school for missionary children, but out in the province where my mission worked, and I saw the need for somebody to be there to teach the children and to teach the women. And so in 1986, I changed my classroom from a schoolroom to teaching Bible clubs and ladies' Bible studies and working with high school kids. So I want to welcome you to Ecuador. Ecuador is the middle of the world, or so they say. Um, the equator runs through the north part of the country. Ecuador is on the west side. It's kind of a bluish purple color there. It's not very big. The equator runs through the northern part of the country. And we're pretty much south of Miami. A lot of people have South America more to the east, but we're pretty much south of Miami. And so right now, we're on the same time as St. Louis. And since 19, no, since 2000, we've been using dollars. The Ecuadorian currency was worth about 24 sucres per dollar when I went in 1975 and, by, and 79. And by 2000, it was 50,000 sucres to a dollar. And so they switched and decided to use dollars. So we use dollars there now. So it makes it much easier for the tourists and the groups that come. 
The Andes Mountains run through the middle of the country. Chimborazo, the one at the top, is about 20,500 feet above sea level. And if you measure from the center of the earth, it's actually the tallest mountain in the world because of the bulge around the equator. So the town where I live is called Chijanes. There's about 3,000 people there in town. It's the county seat, and our county has about 18,000. It's 8,000 feet above sea level, giving us spring-like weather year-round. This St. Louis is about to kill me. <laughs> and I grew up here, but. Um, it's a pretty typical small town where everybody comes out for a parade or for programs and everybody knows what everybody else is doing and who everybody else is and half of the people are related to somebody there. Tijanes is an agricultural area. There's an abundance of corn. There's also beans, peas, barley, wheat. And right now they're starting to harvest corn that was planted in January. We only have 12-hour days, so it's a longer growing period. At least that's what they tell me. I'm not a farmer, but 74% of the people in the area are involved in agriculture of some kind. But unfortunately, a lot of their children don't want to stay and be farmers. They've seen what hard work it is. And so when they finish high school, they move away to the cities or they go to university somewhere and they don't come back because there aren't many job opportunities locally. If you don't work at the hospital or the county seat or have a store, there aren't really many job opportunities for them there. Although now we can buy packaged meat there in our town, a lot of people still like to buy it this way, flies and all. And um, some of them have stoves in their homes like you do with ovens, but a lot of them still just use a stovetop stove, a countertop stove, which is kind of like a camping stove using propane gas. And um, others still choose to cook on an open fire. They say that the soup tastes better that way. So um, over the years, we've had Many children come through my kids' club. The groups have varied in size at different times, more boys, more girls. We sing, we have a Bible story, we do review lessons, and we have a good time. And the kids enjoy it because it's different than the basic rote memory that they get in their classroom at school. The highlight for them each year is when we bake Christmas cookies. They don't bake there. The women don't bake cookies and cakes and stuff like that like people do here. They don't have ovens. And so it's just not a custom that they had. So it's been fun for us to be able to bake, not just with the kids, but with the girls and the ladies as well. There's also been several groups of junior, senior high girls. The picture on the left is from the first girls group club that we had, which was back around, nine, around 2001. 
And on the right are some of those same girls who still live in the town there. They're teachers, one of them's a nurse technician, another one is an electrical engineer. And uh, they still come around every Saturday afternoon with their kids. And we're very thankful to still have input into their lives and now into their children's lives and to know that they have all accepted Christ as their savior. Um, due to the pandemic, we lost time with our last group of girls because a lot of the people there didn't have internet and so they would put just the amount of time that they needed on their phones so their child could connect for their Zoom classes. So we only had contact with those we could make contact with through Facebook or, or phone calls or something like that. And so some of them graduated. The two at the bottom just graduated this past Friday. And um, I'd appreciate your prayers for them. Their names are Valentina and Monse and just that they would have wisdom as they plan for their future now because they'll be making decisions about university and where they'll go and what they'll do. The last Wednesday of each month, we were having ladies' meetings, a ladies' Bible study. Most of these women are not believers, but they're very interested in studying the Bible and they come and we have fun. We bake things or we do a craft and then we sing some and have a Bible study. And a lot of them ask very good questions and so it's been a good time with them and that too was messed up with the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to when I get back being able to do things normally because everything has pretty much opened up down there now. We didn't open up as fast as things did up here. So I'm looking forward to being able to do that. Um, my coworker and I, and many of you, prayed for years for a national couple, a national missionary couple, to come and work with us. And four years ago, Amable and Jenny and their four children moved to Chijana. He says, national mis missionary sponsored under our Association of, of Evangelical Churches. They were just getting pretty much established when everything closed down. But in spite of all that, last October, we were able to have a baptism. And shortly after that, we began meeting as a church. We have a small room where we meet, and we have between 20 and 30 every week. So it's been exciting to see many of your prayers and our prayers answered after all these years. We know that God's timing is the best. And we got impatient quite often, but <laughs> we were glad that we waited. And so it's been good. Pray for the unity of the group because some of the people are from outside the town. They live in one of the communities and some are from in town. And so pray for unity in the group and pray that their lives would be testimonies to the rest of the community there. Um, as you think of Chijanes and its differences and similarities to here, pray for the salvation of the ladies and the girls and the kids that we work with who are not saved. Pray for the spiritual growth of those who are saved. 
and um, pray for the new ministries that will be starting up when we go back again to be able to kind of pick up where we left off and keep going that way. And I want to thank Chatham for your part in the ministry there for many years and for your faithful support and your faithful prayer during the many years that I've been there. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray for Linda while she's here with us. Lord, we are so grateful that you work through people, Lord, that you called Linda to Ecuador, Lord, that she has been a faithful minister there uh, for, these, for these many years, Lord, and we know that it is you who have sustained her, and so we praise you for that, Lord, we praise you for uh, bringing the national missionaries and for the, the starting of a church, Lord, we pray that, that they will grow, that you will give unity to the believers there, that their lives would be testimonies to all of the people around them. Lord, we pray that your glory would be seen through this body of believers that is there. Lord, we uh, pray for all of the, the new ministries that will be starting when Linda gets back. Lord, we're thankful that, that they're able to open up and do things again. We pray that you would work powerfully through them. Lord, give energy, um, bring the right people to come to those. Lord, we pray for those who are coming to Bible studies and girl studies and the, the kids' ministries. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would save. We know it is that you who do that. Uh, thank you for working through, through people like us, like Linda, like the other believers who are there. We pray that you would save those who are coming. Lord, we are grateful that you are, are such a big God. You know what's going on here in St. Louis and what's going on in Ecuador and all around the world. Um, so Lord, we praise you and, and ask for your blessing on Linda and for the ministries that she's involved in. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I continue in prayer, uh, I want to read a passage we, we read in one of Emmanuel's sermons couple of weeks ago, but I've been thinking a lot about it, um, and just in general, it's good to think about Jesus coming back, right, in the new heavens and the new earth, and I've been thinking about it more, probably more, I should have been thinking about it more in the past, but I've been thinking about it more lately, and so I want to I read from Revelation 21, 1 through 5, and then go to the Lord in prayer. This is our hope, this is what we look forward to. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We live in a world that is not new. We live in a world that is broken and dying. Yet we have fellowship with God. There is good. God's creation is good. We just look forward to a better creation, a new creation where all things are new. So with that hope in mind, we enter into prayer and we pray for those who mourn and who are broken, for ourselves as we mourn and as we are broken. But we don't mourn as those who mourn or, or are broken as those who are broken without hope. We have a hope where everything will be made new and everything will be made right. God is trustworthy. So let's pray to that God who is trustworthy. Lord, we come before you. Lord, I come before you with hope. Lord, as I, as I look forward to when you make all things new, Lord, you make our bodies new, and death will be no more. Sickness will be no more. Mourning will be no more. Sadness will be no more. Lord, I look forward to when my heart will love you as it should. Lord, when I will dwell with you because you will dwell with me in fullness. Lord, and I thank you that you are with us now. Lord, that you have given your spirit to us. That we can know you that you love us. Lord, as I think, as we think about all the requests of here at Chatham, Lord, even just my own small life, Lord, I am overwhelmed that you know not only my life intimately and better than I do, but everyone in this room. You know everything that goes on. You know every thought, Lord, and you love us, and you care for every detail of our lives. Lord, and then as, as unimaginable as that is in my mind, Lord, you know everyone and everything in all of the world. Lord, you are at work in mighty ways in Ecuador. You are at work in mighty ways in Ukraine. And you are at work in mighty ways in places that we have no connection to. Because you are big. So Lord, we worship you. We love you that you are powerful and that you are good. Where we think of people here in our body, where we think of Bernice, we pray that you would heal her, you would comfort her, be with her as she makes decisions about her health. Lord, we thank you for her faith, for her encouragement to us. Lord, we pray for Jason. We pray, we praise you that he is feeling better, his mouth is feeling better. Lord, we pray for complete healing. We pray for Kathy's friend, Kathy. Lord, we thank you that her surgery went well. We thank you that she was able to, to catch the problem quickly and they were able to resolve it. Lord, and we pray that um, as Kathy talked with her about reading your word, Lord, that she would get a Bible and she would dive into it and she would see you. Lord, we are um, rejoicing 
with the Sifkeviches, with the birth of their newest granddaughter, Sophia. Lord, we thank you for Kelly's safety and health um, and, and new life, and what a joy it is. Lord, we pray for Violet with her surgery coming up on Monday, Lord, that you would be with her, you would comfort her, the procedure would go smoothly and well. Lord, we praise you for, uh, for Kelly, for her getting better from her sickness, and we pray that you would continue to be with her and her, her family as they, um, as they recover from sickness. Lord, we pray for, for Daniel and the strike that is a possibility at Boeing. Lord, we pray that things would get worked out for the best for everyone, Lord, that you would provide, that fair and good laws would be made, uh, procedures would be made, and fair compensation, uh, where we know that you value justice. Lord, we pray uh, for the laws that are being made here in our own city, in our own county, and in the country. Lord, we pray uh, that your goodness would be reflected in those laws. Your justice would be reflected in those laws. Your care for people would be reflected. Lord, may, may we be a people who regardless of what laws say, Lord, that we would reflect your character, that we would work um, to see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as I think about Diane and the loss of her um, niece, the loss of Allison, where we mourn as we are confronted with death, we mourn. Death does not belong. We are thankful that you are coming back to vanquish death once and for all. Lord, we pray for Diane and for her family as they do mourn. It is sad. The world is not what it should be. But we are thankful for Allison's faith. Lord, we are thankful for Diane's faithful witness to her family and those around her. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her and encourage her in this time. Lord, I think of the Cato's missionaries that we support here. Lord, we pray for their health as they have different procedures coming up. Lord, that you would uh, provide for them financially. Lord, we think of their ministries, that their, their outreaches that are coming up. Lord, we pray for success, uh, that people would come to know you through them. We pray for safety as they do that. Lord, we pray that you would work powerfully in their lives and in the ministries that they do. Again, Lord, you are so good that you work all over the world. We thank you for the Cato's faithful uh, ministry and faithful presence. Lord, finally, I pray for Dan as he comes and preaches your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be upon him and speak through him. I pray that you would give him energy and sustain him as he speaks to us. I pray that your spirit would impact each of us, everyone here, everyone listening online. Lord, I pray that you would save those who don't know you and encourage and convict those who do, Lord, that we would know you and love you more. I ask these things, Lord, and, and all the other things that I didn't think of and we don't know, Lord, we trust that you are good and you are working all things for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.
Josh forgot to tell the kids that they can leave for Children's Church. So feel free to rampage out the doors. If you're new with us and you have children, uh, they're welcome to go to Children's Church. Just have them go out the back door or the side door. They'll meet teachers there and they'll have a lesson this morning that's appropriate for their age group. Good morning. I'm grateful to be here this morning. Um, I thank you for those who have been praying for my health. Two weeks ago, I tested positive for COVID, and I thought it was a mild case. I had just a minor sore throat, didn't really have much of a fever, didn't have things that other people talked about, so I thought, good, this will be over quickly. It hasn't been. I keep testing positive. I have lingering fatigue. And the worst part was I have a brain fog. If I try to concentrate, things just kinda um, disappear. So I was grateful to have two weeks to prepare a sermon because it's been by bits and pieces. I will let you know that I was nervous enough that I asked my son to read through the sermon to make sure that it was logical and flowed, and he gave it a thumbs up. I don't know about the second one, but he gave it one. So hopefully we'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> this morning we're finishing up our summer series on the word pictures, the pictures of the church uh, is that we see in the New Testament. Pictures of the church and how God portrays his people. And today, we're going to be looking at the church as living stones. Now, I've had to really hold back to not call you blockheads, to not say that we're one brick short of a load, and a few other little things that people laughingly say. I had an administrative assistant who wasn't fond of the man who came to date her daughter, and when I said, what's his name, so I could pray for him, she said, we call him Box of Rocks. You know, that was hard. But she later came to see that he was a good foundation for her daughter and for their faith, and he ended up with a good name. But that's what we're going to see this morning. We may think we're a box of rocks, but we are the living stones that will be built into the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to read our main text, which is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 12. If you want to follow along, it's in page 114, 1014 of your pew Bible. I did not get a, a slide up for the folks, so if you would just turn to your pew Bible or your own Bible if you want to follow along in that, or you can just listen as I read for us. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. And if you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word?
as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, this stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May God add a blessing to this, the reading of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our sermon today can be summed up in one simple sentence. We, the church, are the living stones from which God's house, his kingdom, will be built. We're in Peter's letter, and we're starting in the second chapter, so we've missed some of the beginning, but his letter to the church was written to encourage the saints to stand firm in their faith in Jesus Christ. If you look at the very first verse of the letter, you see that he says, these saints have been dispersed to Pontius, to Galatia, to Cappadocia, to Asia, which is Ephesus, and to Bithynia. They have been facing various trials because of their faith. They've been scattered. Now, I told you I've had a little bit of a brain fog as I've been preparing this, and so this next point was not vetted by Ryan, so don't hold him responsible. But this morning I thought back as I was thinking and reading through this that we're talking about Peter, who's writing this letter, and he's writing to the saints, he's writing to those who have been scattered. But Peter is writing this 
from a standpoint that's pretty amazing. If we look back to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, the word reads, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, some churches and some people take this section of scripture to mean that Peter is the rock upon which the church is going to be built. But it's not Peter. It was Peter's declaration. Who do you say I am, Jesus asked. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't let you know this, but my father in heaven. The statement that the church will be built on a rock, a cornerstone, is where we're going to start this morning. The cornerstone of the foundation, the cornerstone as to what is going to be built. As we start in verse 4, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone, precious and chosen, and whoever believes in him will not be pushed to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word, but they were destined to do that. But did you catch, we are a chosen people. And the same phrase was used for Jesus. He was a chosen and precious cornerstone. Chosen and precious. 
yet rejected by men. Jesus is the living stone that was rejected by men and the stone that has become the cornerstone of God's house. We sang about that earlier. I was tempted to have the band come back up and sing it again, but we're running short on time. But in our look at the building blocks of the church of God, we are seeing that the construction theme is being carried out by Peter here. And we are seeing that in any building project in which you start with nothing and end up with a building, one of the first things you have to do is lay a solid foundation. To build a solid building, your foundation must be solid. It must be level, and it must be uniform. So where do you start? Have you ever wondered about that? In the days when Peter was writing, the first stone or brick that was laid was considered the cornerstone. It was the central stone, the one that would set the course of the whole building. All other stones would be laid down in accordance with the cornerstone. Now, when I was a teenager, yes, kids, I was a teenager once, long time ago in my youth group at my church, there was a man that took me under his wings to disciple me. His name was Dean Buck. He was a stonemason. He was a solid man. He was strong. He was rugged. He was weather-beaten. But one thing I remember about him were his hands. They were enormous. They were huge. They were calloused. And they were strong. If you think Emerson Barron has a strong grip when you shake his hand, Dean would have crushed Emerson. I wear this so that Emerson won't crush me. So think about that. These were the hands of a bricklayer. Dean was a man used to hard work. But something else about Dean, about his character, was that it was a godly and strong character. And by nature, he was a gentle man. He was a caring man. He was a loving father, a loving husband, a man who was compassionate and merciful. He taught me a lot about being a Christian and about being a man. But one lesson he taught me was about this section of Scripture, and it's always stuck with me. He taught me that the cornerstone of a building was the most important stone of all. He taught me that it either made the building or ruined it. If it was not level, the building wouldn't be level. If it was not set in the right place, the building would be built in the wrong place. It was, if it was not strong enough to hold its place, the building would be weak and possibly eventually crumble. Dean told me that the first stone or brick would take a lot of planning, a lot of work to get it right. But once that stone was set, 
Then the rest of the building went up quickly and correctly. But he stressed that stone, that stone makes or breaks the building. So it makes perfect sense that Peter, and thus God the Father, to make the claim that Jesus was the precious and chosen cornerstone is important. This is the stone that would make sure that the church was built correctly, firmly, level, and able to withstand. Remember Jesus said to Peter, this statement will withstand the forces of hell. The cornerstone is important. And as we read here, Jesus is that stone. He is the stone that the builders rejected. He is the stone that the Sanhedrin, that the Sadducees, the Pharisees rejected. And he is precious. And as a cornerstone, he sets the sure foundation for the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 28, 16, which was read a little earlier, it said, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And I make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. If you watch a bricklayer, after he sets that original stone, he usually sets a line from one post to another post that stretches the length of that section of brick. And he starts by laying the next brick, and it comes up to that plumb line, and the next brick, and the next. That plumb line is righteousness. We are chosen and we need to be righteous so that we can be laid correctly. Psalm 118 again says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So we see that Jesus has become the cornerstone upon which the house of God will be constructed. We are living stones which is the next aspect of the building material that needs to be used to construct the house of God, the kingdom of God. And we are called living stones by Peter here. The fact that we, the church, are the living stones is important. Let us read again 1 Peter 2, 5, where it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You yourself as living stones. 
be built up as a spiritual house, to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the cornerstone has been laid and the house is ready to be built. So now the bricklayer is going to gather the materials that he needs. He needs to gather enough bricks, enough stones to build the house. And we are being considered as those living stones, those living bricks that will be used to build this house. Let's go back to my mentor, Dean Buck. If you asked Dean about the bricks that were going to be laid after the cornerstone was laid, you would hear him say this, well, you don't take just any brick. You use bricks from a trusted source. This source has been vetted to be sure that it makes quality bricks. But even so, the foreman of the project of the bricklayers at the site every day will inspect each delivery of bricks. He will look to make sure they are solid and fired to perfection and that they are ready to be used. And if there are any that are crumbling or if there are any that appear dusty and weak or any that don't come up to his standards, he will reject the whole load. He only wants the perfect bricks for building his building so that it will stand long and strong. So what makes the perfect brick? It's one that has good, clean mud that has been properly prepared. It has to have the right consistency of water, of dirt and of hardening mixture. It has to have been fired either in a kiln or in the hot sun. In other words, it has to stand up to the fire of perfecting so that it is solid and acceptable. Does that sound familiar? In many of the epistles, we have read the subject about trials that we as Christians need to stand strong in the midst of various trials so that our faith might be perfected. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfected and complete, lacking nothing. In thinking about our theme of bricks, about us as living stones, I am reminded of my trips to Guatemala. I used to take high school students down there for a 10-day missions adventure. And on a, in a town leading to Escuintla, we would pass through this town and there would be thousands of bricks standing stacked along the side of the road. Brilliant red bricks out of the mud from the mountains of the volcanoes. And they would be stacked there one on top of another 
higher than I could imagine. But I was surprised when our guide, Bob Enriquez, a missionary who had lived in country for 40 years, told me that this town was famous for its bricks. But then he told me an amazing fact. Some of the men there, their only job was to unstack the stack each day and restack it in a new spot. The bottom bricks going to the top, the top bricks going to the middle, the middle bricks going to the bottom. Why? Because they didn't have a kiln. And the bricks had to be prepared in the sun. They had to bake. And so they rotated the bricks. How would you like that on your resume? What'd you do for the last 20 years of your work life? I restacked bricks. Were they already stacked? Yeah. But every day I unstacked them and restacked them in a different order. That's how important it was that the bricks be baked perfectly. And we are living bricks, living stones that must be perfected. And James and all the writers of the epistles tell us to do that, you must face various trials. Even Peter started this note out to the scattered church under trial so that you could be perfected, so that you can become the righteousness that the plumb line will use to erect that building. Let's move on and read 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow. We even sang about that this morning. Jesus, the one who brings that mercy. God, the bringer of mercy. What a comforting thought this section of Scripture is. We are a chosen race. We are a chosen people. We have been selected. We have been called out. We have been recruited as part of God's family, a people set apart to take the message of God, the gospel, to the ends of the earth so that the kingdom can be built even in places like Ecuador or Hawaii, as we heard from another missionary, or the Ukraine. Thus, for our thinking this morning, we need to understand that God chooses us. Jesus examines us. The Holy Spirit refines us. And at the end of that process, we are found to be acceptable for use in the building up of God's house, the kingdom of God. The second point here was that we are a royal priesthood. 
How's that sound? I used to lead high school kids. I threw, I'm throwing this in, and this is another five-cent dialogue away from the point. But I used to teach high school kids. And when I taught this once, I said to them, hey, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're set apart. You're special. And I looked at one kid, Jonathan Neef, and I said, Jonathan, tomorrow when you go to your high school, walk through the halls and at one point stop and say, I'm a royal priest. I am chosen and set apart. Now he went to a Christian high school, so you would think that they would accept that. And I picked Jonathan because Jonathan would do anything I told him. Right, Josh? You have guys like that in youth group. You know if you tell them to do something, they'll do it. And so I heard from the headmaster of the school, what did you do? Jonathan's been walking through the halls yelling that he's a royal priest. I said, he is. And so are you. We are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? In God's original house, the tabernacle... And then eventually the temple where God was dwelling amongst the people of Israel, it was where the sons of Aaron, the chosen sons of Aaron, the priesthood served God in the offering of sacrifices for the people. They were workers who helped the people worship Yahweh. They were special. They were selected. They were chosen. Now we are that chosen people. Now we are that royal priesthood. We who have believed the gospel message, we who have believed and accepted the gift of Jesus of salvation, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins. As such, we have now been baptized with the Holy Spirit and God dwells in us. Amen? Let me say that again. God dwells in us. God dwells in you. Do you believe it? You have become the temple. You have become the priesthood. You are the people who are to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. God no longer dwells in a tent or in a temple. He dwells in us. Peter then states that we are a holy nation. Let us remember that God originally made a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham's children became the nation of Israel, a people chosen by God to make his own name known to all the earth, a people through whom God would bless all nations. Paul and Peter in their epistles remind us of this mystery that God did this, but that he also 
had a mystery that then was revealed. The mystery that's revealed is that Gentiles could be part of that family of God along with the children of Israel. That's you and I. We can be part of the family. We have been chosen. We've been made into a royal priesthood. We have become that holy nation. We have been set apart, and as the last point states, we're a people of his own possession. We are God's people. Let me recap those last four points. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we are a people for God's own possession. Praise God. Amen. We are called to proclaim the gospel message. So what does this mean? It means that we are the chosen people of God to continue the original task that he gave the children of Israel, to make his name known to the entire population of the earth. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9b states, You are a people who were called out of darkness, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's chosen people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received it. But you have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light to proclaim the gospel message. We have received salvation. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. That blood, that same blood has cleansed us and purified us and is making us whole and acceptable instruments in the sight of God. Righteous bricks to be used in the building of his kingdom. And then the final part of this section of scripture in verse 11 starts, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when, you, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are sojourners in this land. We don't belong here. We're exiles, just like those Peter was writing to. We belong elsewhere. We belong in the kingdom of God. And that's why we're being used to build up that kingdom, because that's where we belong. Peter tells us we are to live our lives in such a way that God receives the glory and the honor. We must realize that we are sojourners and exiles here on this planet. We're here only to complete a task that God has given to us. As sojourners, we must understand that we belong to that different kingdom of the kingdom of God. We must abstain from the passions of flesh which war against our souls because that keeps us from being perfected into the righteousness 
that God needs us to be to become the proper bricks. We must keep our conduct in the world honorable as ambassadors for Christ. We must remember that Jesus is the cornerstone and that we need to be the living stones of righteousness that finish the construction. Otherwise, the cornerstone has been laid in vain. We are living stones. We are God's living stones from which his house will be built, from which his kingdom will be built. We are essential to the process, to the task. God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to know him. He desires that we come to Christ to have a restored relationship with the Father. God created us, and he desires to dwell with us for eternity. So let us take courage from Peter's letter to us and jump fully into the task. Let us be the perfect living stones that will complete the work that was set out by the cornerstone, by Jesus Christ. In a few moments, we are going to come to the table and participate in the Lord's Supper. Here at Chatham, we observe an open table. That means that if you are a Christian but not a member here, we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that Jesus Christ was broken for us. His blood was shed on a cross for us so that we might be washed clean of our sins and become acceptable in the sight of God. Holy and acceptable. As we partake this morning in this communion, let us realize that it's some of the first steps that we take in becoming the living stones that God will use in his building project. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this last picture that we have been looking at of living stones, that the church is those living stones. But we come to realize, Father, that without Jesus Christ, without the cornerstone, the precious stone that the builders rejected, without that stone, your house, your kingdom cannot be built. But it is so comforting to be reassured that you have laid that chosen and precious cornerstone as a sure foundation, a foundation that will hold your house steady and sure and strong, that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against your house. Father, we acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is your son, the son of the living God. It is our Lord and our Savior. And all glory belongs to his name and to you. Amen. church is one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord she is his new creation by water and the word from heaven he came and sought her Lord 
give us rest than we like them the weak and lonely on high may dwell with thee oh happy ones and holy lord give us rest that we like them the meek and lowly on high may dwell with thee amen he is our foundation he is the cornerstone and we are built on top of him uh, in his glory into his name that we might show his love and spread his message to those around us, built on the firm foundation of his love. And so as we sing this last song, as we ask this, the, this song and its chorus as a prayer, that he would build us up, uh, that he would open our eyes in wonder and fill us with his love and light that all those around us might see. So let's make this our prayer as we sing it out in praise and in prayer to him that he would build our life. Stand as you are able. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live 
will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love to those around me. Amen. Receive now our benediction from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, Go now as God's beloved people and let's shine his marvelous light. Amen.